Good morning. Good morning. It is wonderful to see you all this morning. We, uh, as we continue our Hall of Heroes or Heroes of the Faith series, we are uh, we, we are walking back into the Hall of Faith. You guys, if you guys remember when we initially walked in, and I talked about the you know you have the colonnades and you have everything, and you've got the names written on the walls, and you have the the the, the big murals of the different people and heroes of faith. Uh, do you guys remember what I'm talking about? If you're, uh, if you're new to us, the uh, we're we are in uh, Hebrews 11. We're going through the Hall of Faith and in the heroes of the faith. Uh, that's that a reference there. And so this morning, who the 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 character, the individual I want to talk about this morning is Abram, right? He's he's uh, we we know him typically as Abraham. Right? The, uh, I, I remember the first time I realized that Abraham, when I read like his name was Abram, I was like, who is Abram? Like, what? Uh, when, I, when I first was kind of getting into the Old Testament, I'm like, that sounds a lot like Abraham, but I, I didn't know. And it was funny for me to, to read that, and then you learn a little something. And, and God has this thing of giving people new names, Right? I mean, that's just God's kind of thing that He does. People have a name, and He gives them a new name. And you had uh, individuals who, you know, Jesus, He renames Peter, or He renames Simon to Peter. He names the, you know, James and John, the sons of thunder. You see that God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And, And so He has this thing for kind of changing names, and... It, it always and, and typically has a significance to something about their character or something he sees in them, right? And so we're going to pick up and we're going to talk about Abraham before he was Abraham, right? And I'm actually going to break Abraham up into two different, two different sermons because he's, he's talked about so much. Even through the Hall of Heroes, he's referred to again and again throughout it, and then he's multiple chapters throughout the book of Genesis. And so we're going to talk a little bit about just two qualities of Abram this morning. And the two that we're going to talk about, and that I hope that we ourselves can take away in looking at his example, is his patient obedience, right? And then his sincere humility with God. Right? And and so we're going to look at those two things. But we're going to start off in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to start... In just verses 8 through 10, and then I'm, we're going to talk a little bit about who, who is Abram. What was his life? Starting in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And, and so we read this. We read that Abraham was a, he was a man who was called by God to go to a different land. And, and so if we, uh, let's flip over to the book of Genesis. And uh, we're going to read, when we get to it, we're going to read from uh, Genesis 15. So you can flip there. But we look at this. We look at Abraham's life. And like I said, before he was called Abraham, he was called Abram. And Abram means exalted father. 
Alright? Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many. And we, we look at this. So Abram is, is here in... Starting in Genesis 11, you can see that uh, Abram is being called or he's being alluded to already at the end of it. But you talk about his father. And his, his father... Uh, his father lives to be 205 years old, but before his father dies, when he's about 150, Abram moves away, right? And so moving away from home, though, can be, can be pretty challenging. If you've ever, if you've ever done it, Uriel, was, he, he's been telling me about it this week, the loneliness the, the, or the, the homesickness and, and moving away from what's known and, and coming here and, and talking about, he's like, this is a small town. It's like, because he's lived in Chicago and then L.A., you know, so millions of people in one city and then he's coming here. And so he's seeing this and he's like, whoa, it's totally different to him. But he moved here by faith, right? So I appreciate this brother's faith uh, moving here. And, and so did many of us, you know, many who, who came here, you know, the, the meters moved here initially, what, 20 years ago at this point? Robert, 20 years ago, Chandra, what, 17 years ago? Something like that. Just to, to move here, to, to go to a different place that's somewhere that's a little bit different. And I know other people are, are, have moved and are thinking of moving. And, and, and all of these things, though, moving's not easy. Leaving what you know to go to somewhere you don't know, right? And so that's the first thing God calls Abram to. He says, I want you to leave your father's household. And go to the land to where I'll send you. And so in this, uh, to, to leave, this alone is com- commendable to me. I, I look at it. But he leaves and he takes, his, he takes his wife and he takes his nephew Lot with him. And so as we, you go through the story, if you were to read through Abram's history, uh, it, you see that God promises him early on. He said, Abram, through you, I will bless the rest of the world. Right? He's, he begins to make him promises and tell him. He says, I will turn you into a mighty nation, Abram. And uh, so he leaves with Lot and, and he goes with, uh, with his nephew and, and they start, God just starts blessing them. Right? And Abram does some really bonehead, uh, deceitful things along the way. I mean, he's not a perfect guy. He, he, he deceives Pharaoh at one point, lying about his wife. Uh, not necessarily lying, but certainly being deceptive about it and, and deceiving Pharaoh and by saying, oh, this is just my sister when it's his half sister, you know, and, and all of these things. But we look at this. And so my point is that he's not perfect. All right. We could take that right off the bat. He's not a perfect guy, guy, but he's known for being the father of the faith. All right. And we respect him for that. But he tells him, God tells Abram in Genesis 12. Uh, two through three, he talks about how he says, I will bless the whole world through you. I will make you into a great nation. And he's, he's making this promise. Just go to this place. Leave your father. And so he has this expectation, expectation that Abram's going to travel. And if you can envision it, you know, for us, we just jump in the car and drive a few hundred miles. No big deal. For this, you're moving with the household. You're, you're living out of tents. Right. And we're working, doing remodeling on our house and different things. And, and and some of us know what that's like. Right. When you're living out of boxes or living out of a suitcase. Right. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to live 
a, a totally nomadic lifestyle, but that's what he's being called to do. And so he's, he's got his nephew, he's got his cattle, he's got his household, and he's traveling and traveling and traveling. And God's just saying, just trust me. Just trust me. I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Just trust me. All right? And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. And now, if we look in, if you're looking at this, in Genesis chapter 14, you look at what's going on with Abram. He and, he and Lot have split, right? God blessed them so much. Lot now had his own great herds and, and different things, and so they couldn't stay together. So God says, Abram says, all right, well, look, you go one way, Lot, and you pick whichever way you want to go, and I'll go the other way. Because his faith was, God's going to bless me either way. It's going to be all right. So they split. Lot goes off towards Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And then Abram goes the other way. And in that time period, we, we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, but before that happens... Sodom gets attacked, right? These multiple kings join together and they attack the city of Sodom. And then in that time, they pillage the city and they take slaves with them. And so one of, one of Lot's household goes back to Abram and he's like, Abram, this has happened. God, you know, Abram goes to God and he goes, what do I do, Lord? And, and he's told to go and he collects his, his fighting men. So he takes, it's so specific. He takes 318, right? Which, I don't know if that encourages you guys at all, but when the Bible's like, he took 318 people. I'm like, like okay, if, if this was a, a... It's awesome to me when a verbal story keeps the details. You know, like Moses wrote this down far later. But they, the oral tradition and all of the teachings, they're like, there was 318 men that they took. Right? Which to me, I think that that's amazing. Our society today, uh, I'm going to do a slight tangent. We have a hard time remembering like little facts that you hear, right? I mean, we're, we're like, you send a text message and, and you like read it quick and then you forget half of what it said, right? You hear somebody, something, someone says something, you have to make a note. We think with words, like on paper. We set reminders, we do these different timers. We have a hard time remembering little facts. But we have to remember this is a very different culture. You know, there were storytellers at this time, and even today, who are still capable of remembering an elaborate story from one teller, right? In different cultures to today. But that's... This society was... They heard this. And so when I hear things like, there was 318 people that he took with him. I'm like, that's pretty cool that they go ahead and they remember these little details until... God directs it until it can be written down. That just encourages me. I don't know if that encourages you. I think it's great. But we take this point and we see this. And and Abram goes out and he chases after these other kings who took his nephew and their whole household. And he he has some allies with him and they go and they attack these these other people. And he wins back his nephew and, and their household. And he takes a lot of plunder with him. And so he, he gets all of this. And as he's returning and going back, there's a really interesting exchange that happens here. And uh, if you look at, at this, I'm going to go ahead and read it. But it's in uh, Hebrews or Genesis 14, starting in verse 18. Actually, we'll start in verse 17. It says, After Abram returned from de- defeating... 
Kedor Loamer, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet with, the, with him in the valley of Shavah. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God, most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. To Aner, Eskol, Mamre, let them have their share. <clears throat> now, this is a really interesting exchange, all right? And, and I want to explain a little bit why. In, in the book of Hebrews, actually, Jesus, it's talked about how Jesus is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the king that they're talking about. Now, the king of Salem, if you, if you look at your notes, and some of you have the notes in the bottom of your Bible, Salem is actually Jerusalem. Right? So the king of Jerusalem, who is the high priest of God, comes out to meet Abram. Does anybody see the, the parallels? Yeah. You know, and, and if, if you don't you don't know what I'm talking about, Jesus is the high priest in the orders of Melchizedek, and he was the king of the Jews, which capital city was in Jerusalem. You guys see where I'm going? Yeah. This is pretty awesome because <clears throat> There's, there's not a lot of detail about who Melchizedek was. There's, they don't say who his father was. There's no genealogy of, of him. And, and this is a, an allusion to Jesus already. And they, God makes this direct connection. But what Abram sees is this guy is the high priest of the Lord. And he gives him a tent. <clears throat> and Genesis refers to this, or Hebrews refers to this later and says... You do not give to someone who is equal or or lesser than yourself. You don't give a tithe to someone like that. You don't give tribute to them. You give to someone who is your superior. And so Abram's giving to him, recognizing, I'm giving this to the Lord, ultimately. And so he gives to the Lord and he accepts his blessing. He accepts the Melchizedek's blessing. But when the king of Sodom wants to give him something. He says, I will take nothing from you. Now, we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, known for being some of the worldliest cities ever, right? So you have the worldly king, and you have the king who is the high priest of God. And he will accept one, he will accept something from one, but refuses the other. To me, this is actually an incredible exchange right here. To see that he's accepting something from God, but he will not accept anything from the king of the world or the worldly people. You guys get what I'm saying? And, and I thought this was an interesting exchange, breaking this down to see Abram's heart. 
Because he's ultimately saying, my good things will come from the Lord. I need nothing from you. Right? And, and that's encouraging and faith building. If someone wanted to give you millions, right? That I think that would be kind of an easy way, an easy way out, right? If, if someone wants to buy your favor at a different time and, and Abram seeing this and going, I never want anybody to say that, that they made me wealthy. God made me what I will be. Does that make sense? This is a cool, this is an, an amazing gift and, and an amazing amount of faith that I see here in Abram. So he, he has this interaction and it, and it is a parallel to Jesus. I do think it's in, interesting to see that the, the, uh, the worldly city, the king of the worldly city is denied, but the godly king is respected and encouraged. <clears throat> But so we have this, and so we pick up, though, after this all happens. We're going to pick up here in verse 15, and I'm only going to read verses 1 through 3 for a moment, and, and we'll get through uh, much of the rest of chapter 15 and talk about this. But what we see in verse 1, picking up with Abram, after he's refused these material blessings from the worldly king, right? From the king of Sodom. And it says, after this, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. This has been 15 years for Abram. He's been, he's already been traveling in a foreign country, living in a tent, traveling with his people. They've been attacked. Sir, he's, he's received different blessings already from the Lord. And he's becoming wealthy. Right? And, and he has a large following. But he still has no child. Right? And he's got no one to, to receive the blessings that he has. And, and it's, it's interesting, I want to point this out. If you see this section where it says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your great reward. There's another way that that can be translated. It, it could be read, as, as I said, but it could also be read, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your sovereign. Your reward will be very great. And when you think about this, this concept of your reward will be really great. <clears throat> Abram just turned down a great reward, right? He just turned one down. But he said, God, what can you give me? He's like, and, and I, I read this and I go, I believe Abram believed God that he would receive much. But he goes, what? Oh, sovereign Lord. He repeats his words back to him. What can you give me? He's like, I have no child. You know, anything you give me won't, won't keep going. And, and I, I read this and I see this. And what do I see? Abram has spent the last 15 years, guys, traveling through, wandering around with no place to go and no home. And yet, he's continuing to strive to do what he can and, and to be obedient to God, right? 
He's already given up great reward because he believes that God's going to bless him. But he's struggling. But he spent the last 15 years doing it. And I look at this and I go, 15 years is a good chunk of time to do anything, right? To be consistent. I mean, when we look at like college, you get to the end of college, whether you're, you know, like Kristen in three years or other people who take longer. Uh, you know, it was, <clears throat> you look at that and you get to the end of school and you're like, Lord, I just want to be done. Right? Yeah. Or you get to the end of doing something that you've done that's just been work and work and work and you just, you just want to be done. Right? You want to be finished. And, and sure, you're like, no, I know great things will come or I believe that this is... You know, I'll work hard and, and I'll, reach, I'll achieve something by the end of it, right? <clears throat> but it's hard to be consistent. It's hard to be patient and persevering. And, and he's gone 15 years already. At this point, Abram is 90 years old, guys. He's 90. His wife is 80. He's like, what hope is there? At this point, he's trying, he's, he's, he's in a, a little bit of a crisis of faith, is kind of what I see. But he's still there. And, and I guess, here's, here's a question I have for you. When you get into your crisis of faith, because I say when, not if, right? Because it, it ultimately is going to happen. How do you go to God? Right? Because... Abram was still being patient, he was still persevering, but he went to God and he talked to him. Fifteen years. You know, and, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll talk next time about kind of how some of the other process weighs out for him later, but he does end up having a, a son the next year. But he has Ishmael, not Isaac. He doesn't have his promised heir. He has a child by someone else other than Sarah, his wife, who he had initially. And, and that in itself, I, I think, was a crisis of faith. There was an act of faithlessness, but he was there. But he was still, I, I look at that, he was still going to God and he still was persevering and trying to do what was good by God. And I bring that up only because of this. He's struggling. To be patient and perseverant. Do you guys see it? Yeah. You guys see what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and he's going, like, what do I... Okay, you're going to bless me, but what do I do with that? Like, it it hurts. Right? And, and God promised him he would make him a great nation. He promised him that he would do it. But he's... You ever have a promise that you feel like you're waiting on and it's not coming? And how that hurts? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The thing that you're waiting for. And, and it's tough, but you have to be patient and you have to persevere. And in this, I, I look at us in our lives today, right now. We have something we are waiting on, right? We are waiting. When you say, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Abram is waiting for this nation. 
This kingdom that God said that he would send him. Right? He's waiting on it. He's hoping for it. And, and he's, he's looking for this kingdom to come. For us, sometimes we can get into the crisis of faith and forget about the kingdom that's awaiting for us. Right? You guys know what I'm saying? We can feel that. But here's what I, I want to encourage us to do. Be like Abram in this. He went to God and talked to him. And, and he prayed to God. He said, what will you do? And, and I want to look at this again really quickly. Starting in, in verse 2. And we're going to read through it again, but we're going to read down to verse 8. It says, But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so my servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him It was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Pause there. So I love this aspect, right? What does Abram do? He goes to the Lord and and he says, O sovereign Lord. Now, first off, sovereign means to be someone who has ultimate power and authority. Right? Someone who has ultimate power. And so, ultimate power and Lord. Lord is someone who has authority that, that you submit to. Complete authority over you. And and so in this he's like, I submit. I know you have all power. And I submit to you. Right? And so, we're in, in the reflection of the Our Father, hallowed be thy name, all of that, the teaching of prayer, he's seeing him and exalting him. You are all powerful, and you are Lord, and he's submitting. But what I love about this is this aspect. He speaks to him and he says, What can I do, God? I have no child. He believes that he'll bless him. But he says, I have no kid. Like, what do I do with this? And, and here's what I love. You can almost, as I was reading this, I could almost see it. It says that, that God spoke to him. The word of the Lord spoke to him. But I almost, can in, in think of this. It's almost like he puts his arm around Abram. And you read the scripture and it says, and then he took him outside. And he said, look at the stars. Count the stars. Those will be the number of your children. But I, I love it because it's. Can you see that, like God, just kind of putting His arm around him and walking him out there? That relationship that He had with him, and He tells him, "I promised you this, Abram." 
And it, and it says that Abraham, Abraham believed him, and he was, he was considered righteous because of his faith that he put in God. But even then, in that moment, he became righteous by faith. But the next thing he says is, but how can I know that what you say is true? Right? It's like he believes, but then he's still asking God to prove it to him. You guys get what I'm saying? And, and I love that. He's exactly what Maria said. He's human. This is the father of faith, guys. We, we sing the, you know, the Kiss Kingdom song. The, the father Abraham has many sons. Many sons have father Abraham. You know, we sing those songs and we exalt Abraham, and which is right, we should. But he was a man just like us. A man who struggled with faith. But what I love about it is that he was in a relationship with God. And, and I love that God doesn't just scold Abraham. He comes to meet Abraham where he's at. Puts his arm around him. I, that's how I see it when I read this. And he takes him out and he encourages him. You know, I read this and I see this. Abram was so sincere and humble in the way that he walks with God. And in the way that he, he speaks to him. And there was a time of anxiety for him. There was a time of stress. There was, there was an aspect where he was struggling to believe. And yet God met him where he's at. And, and this is what I would ask us, is how do we do when in your crisis of faith? When you're struggling to persevere and to believe, right? How do you do? There was um, several years ago, and, and I'll, I'll just share for me, um, you know, Kristen and I, before we moved to Portland, uh, we moved to Philadelphia. And we worked for Hope Worldwide um, for a summer. And she was about to be offered essentially a full-time job with Hope. And I had moved away from, from San Antonio because I'd known pretty much most of my life that I wanted to be in the full-time ministry. And I was told that it had been my dream to be in the ministry, but I was told you may want to you may want to try to get a different dream. I mean, that's that's almost verbatim what I was told uh, because they said because I'm not sure that the ministry is for you. Um, and and for me, it was like that's that's what I felt like God had called me to my whole life, pretty much my whole life. And my mom would say that I was like a little kid the first time I said I wanted to be a minister. And so for me, that's what I wanted. It's what I'd always kind of worked towards. And so to be told that, it kind of just, it kind of crushed me. Um, it crushed me. And, and, and I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I thought, you know, maybe this is God just closing the door here and I'm supposed to be going somewhere else. And, and, and that's fine. And honestly, I wanted to be with Kristen and Kristen did not want to live in Texas because it was too hot. Um, you know, and so, yeah, so, but we, I was like, hey man, I accepted this job with Hope Worldwide and to work there for the summer and I was praying about going uh, and moving to Philly, but I wasn't convinced that that's where I was supposed to be. And as I was there and I was praying, Kristen and I weren't doing great. 
you know, we uh, we were in a very uh, very bad spot just in our relationship. We were kind of right there. We had a couple conversations like, if this is how this is going to be, like, we can't be together like this, you know. And, and it was more just the our dynamic at that point. It wasn't anything or anything like that, but it was simply just. It was really, 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 really rocky. <laughs> really, really. And, but in that, and I just, I felt like God took everything from me at that point. Like, he was like, you love this girl, you, want to, you said you want to marry this girl. I'd prayed about it, I felt like he'd answered prayers about it, that, that she was supposed to be the one. I'd, I felt like I was supposed to be in the ministry. I felt like I, I was just lost. Like, I didn't know where I was going. And I, I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way. Or you felt just like your life was in utter turmoil. And as I, I was there, I just, there was one night, and, and I can relate to Abram in this, because I feel like I can, because he, he's like, what are you going to give me? Like, this is the thing that, that I feel like I've been promised. And it's not, I have no way to like, to take it. It, it will lead to nothing. And I, I remember going into the field next to this camp and, and it was dark and it was cool there's no not really a lot of light pollution out there or anything and, and the stars are beautiful but I just I I literally fell on my knees in this field and I just started crying because I was just like God what yeah, I'm like emotional right now thinking about it but I'm like what do you want from me like what do you want like I I want to love you I want to serve you I want to I want to be yours. What do you want from me? And I and like I'm I'm on my knees in this field just praying. I'm like, if you don't want me to be with Kristen, then amen. If you don't want me to be in the ministry, then amen. If you don't want these things from me, then amen. But what do you want? And I just I prayed and I prayed and I prayed until I just honestly I was like, I give up. I surrender, like, I'm done. Just, just leave me. And, and I, I just cried, and I, I just sat in that field on my knees, and I just didn't know what to do. But, I can't say that I got up just miraculously at peace with everything. But I fought for it. And, and I did get to a place after a couple weeks, because this had already been months. This had been building over months, right? And finally, I just was on my knees. But this was one of those moments in my life that I will likely never forget. And I was, like, probably a week and a half later, same camp. I was over by, like, the lake area, and I was sitting, having my quiet time in the sun and I just I, I literally envisioned like God walking to me like Jesus walking to me on the water and, and this is, seems so silly to say this but I just envisioned like running out to him you know and, and I must have somehow shrunk or he was like seven foot or something <laughs> because I just give him this hug and you know my Faces on his chest, so I either was really short or he was really tall. Um, but I'm, 
I just started crying again. But for me, it was just like, I'm here, and I'm with you, and I love you. And in, in that moment for me, was the moment where like God put his arm around Abram. I felt like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But that was, that took days of prayer. That took time of going to God and being sincere. And, and here, Abram was sincere and humble. How do you guys do with being sincere and humble in your prayer? Do you talk to God like you're, you're connected? Like you're in a covenant relationship because you are? Or do you just talk to him like he's out there somewhere? Or are you connected? You guys see what I'm saying? Are you real? Are you sincere? Are you humble when you talk to God? Because a crisis of faith comes. Some of you may be in them. But it's, they come. And for me, I don't normally like to share where I feel like the example. I feel like I did a great job in this. But it was so hard and it hurt so much. But I, I had to surrender. And I had to let go. And that won't, that won't be the last time. Right? There will be more times like this in my life where the God will give me more. Right now, you know, if you don't know, we're going to have a baby boy. I'm, you know, I'm excited about that. But the more God gives me, the more I have to surrender. And that's true for all of us. Right? And so, I guess, here's what I want to say. You look at Abram, God made him a promise. And he's still asked, Are you, how can I know God? And what ends up happening is, for Abram, God said, I will make you a promise. I will make a covenant with you. And so he takes, he takes the uh, uh, goat, and he takes a lamb, and he takes a, a, a cow, and he, he takes these things, and a pigeon and a dove, and he, he slaughters them. And so how the practice worked is, a covenant promise was made where you, you shed this blood, and life is given as a witness. And you would, you would separate the animals. And so, you, so imagine a, you know, you'd make an aisle like this. And as a covenant promise, you would walk between those which were slain, the life that was given, the blood that was shed. And so he walks through it. And that's what a, a covenant is. And so to do that, and what we see is Abram does this. And he, he you know, likely walked through it as he laid him out and he came back and he sat and he waited. And he waited and he waited. And he falls asleep and God sends him a vision that, that he sends a fire through it, right? And, and there's much to this and, and much that can come from the, uh, you know, the kiln and, and everything that comes through here. And that's a prophecy in itself, but it was a promise that God made. He sent his spirit through to say, this is the covenant I'm with you, Abram. A covenant, a promise from God. For those of us, you know, when we got baptized, we entered into a covenant promise. We, we were sealed. Scripture tells us we were sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise for what we would receive in this And so... 
that, I mean, we talk about Abram being spoken to and walked with God. That God would put that idea of walking with him. But even before that, or after that, God has come to dwell within us. Do you connect with him? You guys hear what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, I guess here's, here's, here's all of this. For Abram, he was patient and perseverant for these 15 years. It would be another 10 years before his son Isaac would be born to him. Right? He had struggles in his faith. Sarah had struggles in her faith. They made some bad decisions. God was still faithful through all of his promises in this. But Abram was so real with God. And he wasn't perfect. But he remained faithful through time. And at times he failed. My encouragement to us, brothers and sisters, let's be faithful to God and the promise. Right? When we got baptized, when we said, Jesus is Lord, we said, I'm going to serve you all of my life. You are Lord over everything. That's the good times and the bad. And so in this, I just want to encourage us. Be patient. Be persevering. Be sincere and humble. God has made a covenant promise with you, with Jesus on the cross. And when you got baptized, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have it, guys. There is so much more we can do. But let's be sincere in our faith. Let's be faithful and patient. Let's wait on the Lord because the blessings will come. And the thing that we wait for is heaven. But, like Abram, we will also receive great things in this life at this time. But let's be patient and humble as we wait on the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.